Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host Salim Qasim. Uh, Ramadan Mubarak, guys. This week I'm joined by Chris from Launch Good. We actually recorded this podcast just a few days before the holy month of Ramadan, um, which is why we kind of talk about Ramadan in the future. But obviously, it's already here when this is going out. Um, and yeah, we we talk basically about I guess his own personal journey and story when it comes to uh, finding the faith of Islam um, and how that all happened for him and then also um, the origin story I guess of Launchgood which is a campaign that I'm sorry a platform that uh, pretty much everyone will have come across and I'm sure uh, many of you would have received links to Launchgood campaigns that I'm running in the month of Ramadan obviously you know a, a, a huge time for um, funding campaigns and I guess whilst we're on the topic of that, this um, this month actually, yeah, we're running a crowdfunding campaign for the Muslim Vibe um, to help us primarily just create content and and basically, we, I say this all the time. You know, we're asking people to subscribe and support and everything else, but um, right now we're we're quite seriously looking at how we can improve our infrastructure and and really kind of be able to get as self-sustaining as possible through advertising consultancy and various other bids um but to kind of plug that gap we need your support so the link is in the description to our crowdfunding campaign um we are soon after the holy month of ramadan we're going to be setting up a uh, subscription service where people can support on a regular basis and we're going to have perks for people that do that so look out for that um but yeah essentially um oh yeah also sorry monday the 19th of april which if you're listening to this on the first day or on the it's going out on sunday and then monday is going to be the 19th um we're doing a uh the, the launch good challenge where basically the the campaigns with the most individual donors in the 24-hour period receive a $5,000 bonus for their campaign. So if you're listening to this on Sunday, um, then tomorrow, please could you donate just a pound to that link? Um, and that would really go a long way. And also, if you can tell one or two other people to do the same and tell them to pass on that same message, that would be amazing. Um, if, you're in, if you're listening to this on Monday, then today's the day. Um, please can you um, donate? Link is in the description. That would be great. And if you're listening to it after Monday, then I'm really sorry that you missed out on the opportunity to be a part of history in the making. Uh, all right, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. Um, all right, with with all of that out of the way, here is my conversation with Chris. Salam, Chris. Hey, salam alaikum. How's it going? Uh, good, good. Thank you very much for for joining me on the podcast today. Um, I, usually I start with asking people to kind of introduce themselves and, and their brand or organization. Um, but I, I feel like with launch good that, that we don't need any sort of introduction. Um, you guys have, have been around for, I think is it eight years now. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, this will be our eighth year. Yeah. Eight years. And I think within that time, it's, it's become, uh, a household name that's synonymous with, with giving and, uh uplifting muslim brands and and launching product projects and products and everything else um and 
so yeah like i i, I feel like w there's no need to introduce launch good necessarily but but maybe yourself um so if, if you would like to tell people just about your own kind of background and um how you got into this space i guess yeah ha happy to do that although you know I, i'm always surprised actually i think a lot of people don't know launch good no 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 um, don't don't try it don't, don't, yeah. you can't play humble no 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 <laughs> it, 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 we have a long way to go honestly we do and, and i'll talk about that inshallah um when i when i get into our users like you know we have alhamdulillah a million users now and and uh it sounds like a lot, but you know, one neighborhood in Istanbul, like Besiktas or Uskudar or something, has a million people in it. So we have a long, long way to go, inshallah, where where we see the potential. Um, but anyway, Bismillah, to kind of start and introduce myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my name is Chris Blavelt. Uh, my Muslim name is Abdurrahman. Um, but uh, as maybe people guess listening, I wasn't actually born into a Muslim family, uh, although I was born in a Muslim country, which not a lot of people know about. Uh, really? I was born in yeah, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And my mother has some story, which funnily enough, she doesn't really want to tell me, but I, she tells other people uh, how something about the van going off when I was born. And mind you, my mother's not Muslim. Um, so, you know, who knows? Uh, that's, <laughs> you know, what impact that might have had. Um, growing up, though, of course, I was not uh, uh, in a Muslim family. We lived in Malaysia for a couple of years, and then we moved to South Korea for a couple of years, and then we moved. Uh, back to New Jersey where my parents were living before they had me um, and I grew up mostly on the east coast between uh, on the east coast between New Jersey and Massachusetts so that's where I really uh, kind of came of age and then when I was 16 we had um, you know this is how I started actually learning about Islam so a neighbor of mine his name is Mike Dan um, at that time he's my classmate my neighbor uh, my tennis, we were like the two stars on the tennis team. Mm. And um, however, uh, we were like not friends at all because Mike was really a troubled kid uh, at that stage of his life. And I just kept my distance from him, like falling into a lot of, you know, like drugs and alcohol starting at around like 11 years old, which is really young, to be mm. honest. Um, uh, but Stepanon, he ended up becoming Muslim from his tennis, co tennis coach, who's an old school African-American Muslim uh, from Elizabeth, New Jersey, like someone whose family used to go listen to Malcolm X, for example. Uh, his name's Art Carrington. So Mike became Muslim through art and Mike completely changed the type of person he was. And that really captured my attention. So, you know, we started hanging out. Uh, I started learning about Islam from him. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, however, growing up as a, um, we call them creasters. I don't know. Have you ever heard that term before, creaster? No, I haven't. It's uh, it's not an official type of Christian, but it stands for Christmas Easter Christian, a creaster. So if you only go to church twice a year, um, you're a creaster. And that's similar to, um, you know, maybe we see Muslims, they only go to the masjid for like the two Eids, you know? We, we, we need uh, a funky branding name for that as well. I think we, we do, we do, right? <laughs> The creaster is a good one. I don't know what we call it for Muslims. But anyway, I grew up, you know, basically very nominally Christian. And uh, as I, I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to this, growing up in the West, there's also this tension between religion and science um, or, or, you know, being rational and being a believer. Mm. And uh, I actually went on the side of science and, and ration um, and, and logic and then I became an atheist and I followed my older sister into that and I was a very confident and proud atheist as many teenage atheists are and uh, 
when I started learning Islam, I was not really like I was intrigued, but not interested. Right. I was like, wow, this is a pretty sensible religion. A lot of the issues I had with Christianity are not present here or, or, you know, theological conflicts, for example, um, or historical issues. But I was not, you know, thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about, you know, becoming a a believer of any sorts. Um, But, you know, I was impressed with Mike. And then a little bit later, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Have you read that one? So funny enough, the the right now it's the most recent podcast episode that's gone out but it'll probably there'll be a few podcasts before this one goes out um but but i spoke to zahir ali about um the understanding malcolm x in the 21st mm. century and i really wanted to do that podcast off the back of having listened to the audiobook um so yeah like that was uh in fact you should check out that podcast as well I'll plug it to you um but yeah that was a, a phenomenal journey i think and and something that everyone should go on and clearly it's, it's had a profound impact on yourself as well yeah i mean i would say like i mean every western muslim should read it right it's just incredible mm-hmm. um but for like people that actually become muslim i'd say about a third of everyone that becomes Muslim in the West, it feels like the autobiography of Malcolm X played a role in their conversion. Um, and that means thousands of people every year, you know, maybe 10,000 or more mm-hmm. people a year um, still becoming Muslim through his autobiography. I, I'm one of them. Uh, so, you know, I saw Mike's personal transformation through Islam. I read about Malcolm's transformation through Islam. And I was like, wow, there's really something here. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, there's a, actually something he was told that Malcolm was told when he was in prison. Uh, he was told, if you take one step towards Allah, Allah will take two steps towards you. Uh, mirrored by the hadith, you know, if you come to Allah walking, Allah will come to you running. If you come to him a handspan, he'll come to you arm length. And, uh, you know, I was being my young rational uh, self. I was like, okay, this is a hypothesis. And I'm going to test this hypothesis. And I'm going to quit eating pork and sausage and bacon and, and, uh, you know, I'll quit going to parties with alcohol. And if this is a true religion, Allah guide me to it. And um, that summer, uh, and so I you, said, you, if you, five, you basically did an experiment with religion. I did an experiment with religion. And I figured, hey, if nothing happens, I'm going to have a big barbecue bender in the summer. You know, that was my thinking. <laughs> and alhamdulillah, there never was a barbecue bender, you know, because what, what I end up doing is, is then like really starting to study the Quran, studying the life of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, And, you know, I just came to the conclusion that like it had to be true. Like, you know, who wrote the Quran if it wasn't from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who, you know, what was the, the whole deal with the, this man, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, may Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. What was his deal? You know, if he wasn't a prophet of God, you know, they offered him to be king. They offered him riches. They offered him power. They offered him all this stuff. And it wasn't about him, you know, it was never about him. And so, you know, the only thing that made sense logically, again, I, I was approaching this logically, was it had to be true. Um, it had to be from God. And uh, then I, you know, especially when I got into the scientific miracles of the Quran, you know, which is to me uh, such a contrast to, you know, some of the uh, scientific inaccuracies within the Bible, let's say, um, you know, I just, I really felt that either, yeah, you know, maybe I wasn't certain about Islam, but it's like either Islam is true or nothing's true. And uh, they call it Pascal's wager. I was, I was like, you know, at the very least, like I'll become Muslim. And if, if I die and nothing's true, alhamdulillah, like nothing's going to happen to me. But if I die and Islam is true, at least I'm on like, you yeah, know, you're, protect you're on my the path. Hereafter. 
you know? And so uh, it was very simple calculation, to be honest. I was 16. When you're 16, you make kind of bold decisions without thinking twice. I've got to um, say that I, I love I love how calculated that this whole thing is. Like it, 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 it as you say, like you're you know you're, you're, you said that you're a rational person, but like you did this whole thing in the most rational way possible. Um, but but I guess I'm I'm assuming that at some point it kind of the reality kicked in. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that happened really fast because three months after I became Muslim, 9/11 happened. So that was like, you know, I mean, uh, one thing you have to remember is I became Muslim in a place with almost no Muslims. Like when I went to make my Shahada, we had to drive almost an hour to get the, to the closest masjid, uh, which itself was a small masjid um, in Springfield, West Springfield, Massachusetts. So, you know, it's a very limited uh, Muslim community. Basically, it's my friend Mike, uh, his tennis coach, Art. And Malcolm X, who was living, you know, who was not even alive. It's just like the book, the character of Malcolm X, right? And, um, uh, I, you know, I just never really interacted much with Muslims at all. And then 9-11 happens. And it was so confusing because you have uh, Osama bin Laden and all of a sudden it's on CNN. And it's like, oh, this is the mastermind behind the attacks of 9-11. And I'm like, well... He's got a big beard. He's quoting the Quran and Hadith. He speaks fluent Arabic. He left a life of luxury in Saudi to fight jihad in the caves of Afghanistan. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, this is very confusing. This like on, like, it sounds like this is a gr great guy, mm. you know, on a, for a new Muslim, it's extremely confusing because you can see like just the, the outside, if you don't really understand Islam yet, it's like, what, like, isn't that a good sheikh? You know, like, isn't that like, you know, aren't I supposed to be listening and following people like that? And it's, and you want, you know, I, I'm very uh, sympathetic for Muslims that, you know, especially new Muslims that fall into ISIS or this and that, because it was like, you know, just on the, like the facade can get them. And if they don't have an education and they don't really understand Islam, um, it's so easy to fall prey to that. And that's actually what those, you know, extremist groups are looking for is uneducated uh, new believers um, that they can, you know, quickly like swoop into their ideology. Uh, you know, I, and that's I, what I, it is. It's not I Islam, it's, think, it's their ideology. I, I, I don't think I've actually ever met someone that, that converted to Islam at the period that you did, like just before 9-11. Um, yeah. And again, I, I can't even begin to imagine like all the kind of, as you say, like conflicting ideas and thoughts that are going through your head. Um, because even oh, as like a as someone who was born Muslim, the experience of of going through nine eleven and seeing all of this stuff and suddenly having this like public media trial of your religion, that was kind of difficult and unnerving as like a as a young person in the UK. But being in America, being from uh, a a non Muslim background, converting to a religion, and three months later seeing this all play out must have been. Um, I, I mean, did you ever think that this was like a, a weird way of like the universe telling you to to, to, to run and, and never come back? Yeah. You know, I've, I, I obviously I believe in destiny, right? Like I believe yeah. everything happens for a purpose. Um, I, I think one thing 9-11 did for me was, and I think for probably maybe even yourself and many, many Muslims, uh, it really forced me to understand what Islam is. What does Islam want from me? What does God want from me? 
And, um, you know, so like, for example, because of 9-11, uh, I, I went to the University of Michigan where there's Dr. Sherman Jackson, um, or Abdul Hakim Jackson, an amazing professor, and I was at USC. Uh, I wanted to be around a big MSA. I wanted to be around a lot of Muslims. I traveled a lot, you know, like within the first five years of being Muslim, I was blessed to go to Egypt, um, the Umrah, the Hajj, uh, the UAE, Jordan, Morocco, Turkey, Malaysia, all that within the first five years of becoming Muslim. You know, and a lot of that I'm sure was spurred by 9-11 because like, I really wanted to understand my faith. I really wanted to understand you know, who Muslims are. Um, and, and if I look at that, you know, I, I tell people I came away with, you know, if I look back at that period of my life, I really came away with two strong conclusions. One, which is important to remind ourselves, Muslims are awesome. Like Muslims are so cool. You know, every time people travel in the Muslim world, they're just amazed how friendly people, you know, Muslims are, how welcoming, inviting, how they honor their guests. Like, you know, I don't have anyone that goes to Malaysia or, or really Turkey or any Muslim country that's like, oh, people are so rude to me. Like, no, like they're going to give you tea. They're going to like, you know, they honor their guests. Like it's just part of Muslim culture all over the world. Mm. Um, uh, and so, you know, that's the first thing is like, wow, Muslims are really cool. But the second thing is we're, we do a terrible job at PR. You know, like people really don't have a good perception of Muslims. And a lot of it has to do with Hollywood, right? And, and the media and the, the stories that are being told at a global scale. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe if I could get involved in that, if I can change the narrative of Muslims, uh, it can really change the whole way the world sees Islam. And, you know, we won't be in, engaged in this war on terror. Um, which was, you know, this really dark spot for the last 20 years um, uh, on our community, on America, everything. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I actually ended up going into film. Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't actually, I skipped over a very significant part of my part of my journey, which is at Michigan, I didn't study film or culture or whatever. I studied engineering. I am actually trained as an engineer. Um, wow. I started getting my, I even got started getting my master's degree as an engineer. I, I went to I worked at Intel in California. Um, I, I, I don't want to brag about it, but like I was a fairly successful engineer um, and uh, on a path for, I think, I believe a very successful career if I wanted as an engineer, but it was so unfulfilling. Like, you know, I remember sitting in my cubicle in Intel and it's just like, like I became Muslim for all of this. You know, I've traveled all the world. I've been learning Arabic. I'm, you know, I'm inspired by Malcolm, like all this just to sit in a cubicle and collect a nice paycheck. Like, that's not, it's just not who I am. Yeah. And so I ended up uh, going back to school and getting a master's in educational leadership. Um, and then I taught for a couple of years at a, at a prep school outside of Boston. And, and then I, that also felt like too comfortable. Um, I ended up uh, helping my old roommate, Safe Omar, start an Arabic program called Fawaki which is still running, alhamdulillah, out of DC. It's actually mostly online now. It's a, it's a very good chronic Arabic program for Wacky. Um, and then I had another friend of mine. So I was like really happy to help Safe get that going. And then another friend of mine, Sultan Sharif, also from University of Michigan, he was trying to get a film company going in Detroit. And it was at this time, did you ever see the article by um, Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah called The Cultural Imperative? Islam and the Cultural Imperative? No. No, you, you're kidding me. You never read that? 
I can say yes if you'd like. No, I, well, I, I want you to say yes. I'm going to read it. I know, no, of course, because, I'm, I'm, I have to read it no, now, but I haven't come across it now. Because you get it, I, and that's why I'm saying it, right? Like mm. you understand the importance of storytelling, yeah. the importance of culture. You know, either it's one of those things like you're 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 either uh, sitting at the table or on the menu, and Muslims yeah. are pretty much on the menu right now, right? And historically, Muslims have had a role of elevating culture. And Dr. Omar was really calling Muslims to, to recapture that mantle of like elevating culture within civilization. And uh, he, you know, so I was very inspired by that. And I was like, man, here we have an amazing filmmaker, Sultan Sharif. Uh, he's a horrible business person. And, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but he knows it too. Um, and and I, I'm not a great business person, but at least I'm like, you know, could help him be a little bit better and get this, you know, kind of film going and, and have a path to, uh, you know, maybe commercial success. Um, so I moved to Detroit. This was 2010. Uh, so 11 years ago now, April 1st, 2010, I moved to Detroit. Um, he and I set up shop, like we rented the house. First floor was our office. Second floor was our living space. Um, and we had this little film company called Beyond Blue Productions, which was making mainstream films with a, a Muslim uh, storyline or at least Muslim values. And our like we were basically a one trick pony. We had a success called Bilal Stan that went to Sundance in 2010, um, which was a really big surprise for us and, and a big honor. Sundance, if people don't know it, it's, it's the big film festival for independent filmmakers, sort of like the Oscars for independent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were really excited to be uh, at Sundance. And then we're like, oh my God, we got to bring this film to the public and we need money to do that. You know, you got to finish the color corrections, sound corrections, um, uh, make art, make a website, make DVDs, like all this stuff you have to do. And so what we ended up doing is a Kickstarter. Um, yeah. And I'm, I assume people know Kickstarter now. It's a multi-billion dollar platform that's helped, you know, so many creatives uh, and artists bring their projects to life. Um, but at that time, it was just brand new. And we were the first Muslims to use Kickstarter. And you know, if you look at like just my life, what did I love to do? Like, I love to help Muslims with so much potential realize that potential. So whether it's Saif Omar getting Fawaki going or Sultan getting uh, Beyond Blue Productions going, there's also like a Muslim chaplaincy we started at the University of Michigan with Ustad Muhammad Taysir Safi. Like, I just loved helping really special talented Muslims get into that position of, of, of success. Um, and that's what crowdfunding is. So when we did our Kickstarter, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I was good at it. And then I was like, I, I just started helping other people as a favor to them as just because I was like, this is so cool. Like our community has got to see this. And then I started thinking to myself, like, what if we had a Muslim Kickstarter? Like what if we had a platform where Muslims could bring their ideas and get them funded, get their initiatives funded, and that was really the birth uh, and start of Launch Good. Um, so, so yes, like I know that's a very long answer to your question. Like, do I think like, you know, this is the universe conspiring to push me a certain way? Like, yes, like everything in my life definitely feels like it was on this path uh, to bring Launch Good to, to the world. You know, as you were talking about um, uh, the, I think it was the Imam that you mentioned who was very, Sherman Jackson, is that right? Yeah, Sherman. Yeah, uh, Dr. Um, Jackson. Yep. Sorry, Dr. Jackson. So as you were talking about about him and and about and the article as well that I haven't read, but I, I should have read. 
um, about uplifting and positive narratives and, and you know, changing the, the kind of uh, dynamics and, and conversations, and whatever else. I think for me, when it comes to, well, when it came to launch, good, I don't know if I've ever, ever mentioned this to you, but there was one particular campaign um, that went viral that was the time that I realized that the real true potential and impact that that's a platform like LaunchGood has. Um, obviously, you know, in terms of branding on the face of it, LaunchGood could be anything. It's not necessarily a, a Muslim brand, but obviously one layer down, you can see that it's a, it's a very Muslim platform. But it was particularly around, and I'm sure you remember this, um, there was, I think, a Jewish cemetery that had been desecrated yeah. somewhere. Was it in America? I can't remember yep. the location. Right after At, Trump was elected, yep. Correct. And and then off the back of that, I, again, I, I can't remember who started the campaign, but the, the launch good campaign went mega viral to the point yeah. that I think JK Rowling um, tweeted it out. And I remember seeing her tweeting out and I was like, oh my God, I know, I, I don't think we had met at that point. But I was like, I know of Chris um, and I've like, I, I know these people, I've seen them on Facebook. This is like some small time platform, but they're, they're getting kind of very big attention from some serious people and and really trying to make noise and and showing a different face and a, a completely different light i guess to how people previously perceived muslims and us wanting to give back and supporting other communities and this is kind of that real life interfaith work that uh i think we very tokenistically try and do by having like you know a a rabbi a priest and an imam sit together and talk about unity or you know yeah, what, yeah. what jesus means to them um whereas this was like real life let's go out there and help one another so i remember when i saw that for me there was kind of this mindset shift mindset shift sorry that this can really be something um yeah. and this has the potential and i think that was early days and i if i remember correctly did your website go down multiple times as a result of that campaign yeah yeah exactly we have it in our little like story line of launch if you go to launchgood.com you know about us or slash about us but um yeah she she crashed our website and which at the moment was terrifying right because like yeah, we're yeah. trying to raise so much money and now our website is down because jk rowling and some other celebrities tweeted about it and it just like was overwhelming our servers was that um, the first big hit for you guys like the first big thing you know it wasn't actually um but it's it's definitely one of the more significant ones yeah right um we had, uh, we had, you know, our very first viral campaign was um, also by a similar person. So that campaign, the Jewish cemeteries, was a uh, co-led effort between Linda Sarsour, who's a Palestinian Muslim uh, activist in New York, um, and Tarek El Masidi with his organization Celebrate Mercy, which is, you know, an amazing charity that's all about, you know, living the values of the Prophet and uh, they co-led that one. Linda had actually done, uh, been also co-leader in our very first big viral campaign, which was for black churches that were burned down in the South, which is not too dissimilar from this, right? Um, you know, in that case, this was after, uh, the black churches was after a shooting in, a, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, like a young white man went into black church and uh, with yeah, racial yeah. motives, just, you know, started killing all these parishers and uh which is horrible like that itself is horrible and then in the wake of that people started burning down black churches it's like oh my god america is so racist right um and then 
in this case with the Jewish cemeteries is after Trump was elected, people started desecrating these Jewish um, cemeteries. It started in St. Louis, Missouri, and it ended up in uh, Pennsylvania and Colorado. And just like, actually, you know, it's just so sick, right? It shows that America really has a sickness to it. Um, and it's in its heart. I mean, not to be, I'm going to be all over the place, but maybe that makes this an exciting podcast. One of the things that really appealed to me in Malcolm's autobiography is he talked about America's sickness. And he talked about his, how Islam was the solution um, uh, and the cure to its problems because Islam changes people's hearts. You know, he saw that, like he went on Hajj himself. He himself had a lot of racist views about, um, you know, white people, for example, right? Because they were raised in the nation of Islam or taught in the nation of Islam that white people are actually a, a creation of the devil, right? And he went on the Hajj and he would sit with the, the darkest, blackest Africans and the whitest, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Caucasians, and they're sitting together as brothers. And, you know, Malcolm realized that, you know, true Islam uh, really, like, it cleans people's hearts and allows us to see each other as humans. Um, and he's like, America needs Islam because it's the curative solutions. And so, uh, anyway, that, that's just something that really inspired me. Like, that was a major uh, point for me about becoming Muslim and, and inspiration to, to get more into Islam. Um, and when we see these campaigns, whether it's the black churches or the Jewish cemeteries, we see, you know, the, the ugly warts of America um, kind of rising to the surface. And then it's, who's that that's coming to address it and try to provide healing? It's Muslims. And I think that's what captured, you know, national headlines. Like, you know, that Jewish cemeteries, it wasn't just J.K. Rowling. We're talking about the New York Times and Stephen Colbert show. Like that thing really went viral. Um, and because it changed the narrative completely of who Muslims are. You know, but people I, think I that... Think so I, I was just going to say, I, I feel like, you know, people um, potentially underestimate just how, uh, how, how incredible a feat that is in terms of being able to, because, you know, we live in an age of, of, of uh, the digital age of content where there's just so much noise constantly. You know, every app that we have is, is just a, a feed of, yes. of so many yes. different things coming in. And, and for, for you guys to create a platform um that provides this because you know I, I can set up a website tomorrow for example that's raising money for any of these causes but uh to create that brand and grow people's trust and, and and take people on that journey i think is is something that you know that needs to be recognized and and um like just appreciated i guess yeah. um and, and and that's that's the thing for me like like i said when it came to these things in particular that's when i i i personally saw that there's actually it's not just a case of being able to raise money and doing good in that way but it's it's sentiment right you've got a, a very dark time trump has just come in people are now um you know c committing um hate crimes and and either the, the story can stop there or actually the continuation of the story is that suddenly these Muslim organizations, these Muslims have come together and are raising loads of money to try and create some positivity to show unity, especially at a time yeah. when, you know, and, and, and again, you know, people have, we've now lived through that time when Trump first came in, yeah. there was very tangible fear. 
and acts like that we're, we're seeking to um to turn people away to make people go back to where they came from as as you know the uh, aggressors might have perceived but what happened inevitably was that people rallied together and people of faith kind of came together and, and that's i guess the beauty of it um it's, it's funny because we, we've been speaking for almost like half an hour now and i initially wanted to go down the more businessy understanding the, the the gummies model which we'll we'll get on to talking about yeah. but i i feel like like you said the the story element is always so much more impactful and hard-hitting and even your own journey through it it kind of really brings to life um the platform i guess a lot more as well oh you know thank you it, it's as long as it's a good conversation i want people <laughs> listening to this to benefit and get something out of it yeah. Uh, if it's nothing more than some entertainment and smiles. Um, but, you know, there's so many things in my head right now. Um, but one Just of them go, is... Say, say what you got to say. Don't you worry. You know, <laughs> uh, the framing of LaunchKit. I think it's really important to, for people to understand what LaunchKit's about. It's not another community organization. It's organizing community. And that's a really important distinction. Um, mm. and, and what type of community obviously the Muslim community, but we've identified a subset of that Muslim community. And we're super you know, excited about this uh, subset. We, we call it gummies. Um, and then not the Haribo halal style Turkish gummies, but G-U-M-E-E-S. Uh, so it stands for Global Urban Muslims who are educated in English speaking. Um, so that's a mouthful, Global Urban Muslims. Maybe that's an easier way to think about it. But I'm sure everyone listening to this is a gummy. And we've all had this experience before where you travel to a Muslim country. It could be, it could be South Africa, for example. And you meet somebody, maybe they're of uh, you know, Southeast Asian descent, like Malaysian descent. And they've been in South Africa for 150 years. So you're talking about different race, ethnicity, culture. They might speak Afrikaans. And so they have their own even languages. But subhanAllah, when you meet with them, there's a connection. There's a bond. Like you can actually sit down, have a meal, have a great time. Uh, you know, given, of course, you got to be able to both speak English probably, right? Um, there's got to be some basic level of education. Um, but if you have that, there's going to be a very kind of common set of cultural values and religious values that enable this instant connection. And it's so unique. Like, I think people that are not Muslim, and maybe this is the benefit I have of someone who embraced Islam and wasn't born into this. It's so unique, you know, and, and that kind of goes to that. Um, I don't know if you ever heard that story of like, you know, the old fish uh, comes up to, to the young fish and he asks, how's the water? And the young fish is like, what's water, right? Because they've always been immersed in that and they've never had a, a chance to develop any perspective. Uh, but I'll tell you, someone that came, that was not Muslim and comes into this Muslim community, this global connection where I feel like literally any Muslim in any country is my brother or sister and I can connect with them. And I would like, can you imagine, like, I, and you can imagine this, right? Like, can you imagine if we went to Argentina right now, do you think we could find some Muslims and like have a good time and would even be comfortable like having dinner at their house or even maybe sleeping at their house? hundred percent. I've, I've had similar experiences, um, like literally in, in South America, I went to uh, Colombia and in, in Bogota, I looked up like the nearest mosque 
and then ended up like having lunch with one of the guys there. We became friends. We we still talk on WhatsApp, and and it's as you say, like just being able to bond over that that brotherhood. It's something yes. that, like you said, it's. I think when you, especially when you go out and you travel and you go to remote parts of the world or just places that are so different from your own context, that you're able to then actually experience it because you know, as a concept, you know, if people haven't been outside yeah. of their like ethnocentric bubble that we often do in Muslim communities. Right. You actually realize that, and especially like Hajj, you mentioned, you know, Malcolm X's story of going for Hajj. Like even there, there's like I've when I went for Hajj, in fact, like in 2016. I had like the nice experience talking to to random brothers like we'd just be praying next to each other and then you sit down and you just say oh where are you from and, and you have like a little little communication and a little conversation and it's it's so uplifting because you both have that mutual love and respect for one another even though you don't know each other's names you've never met before you're never going to meet again but it's just there's there's something very real there uh, right. which is which is beautiful you know subhanallah when i first First of all, I'm jealous of you because Colombia is on my like real like two visit list. I haven't been yet. Um, I can send you I my itinerary. I, I, I had oh, a great please. trip out there. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. You know, I, I don't know if you know brother Jaime Mujahid Fletcher with Islam in Spanish. Um, no, I don't. Oh, you, the thing oh, is, you must know everybody. You don't need to like, you have I, I, what, tw <laughs> 20,000 projects you funded around the world. I, I, have, a, I have a good Rolodex now. I've got, you know, Allah has really blessed me because I just you love use a Rolodex. Muslims. I just love helping Muslims. It's like, <laughs> You know, there's so much talent in our community. Um, mm. But uh, this brother, Jaime Fletcher, he's a Colombian convert. He also, like me, became Muslim right before 9-11 as a teenager. Um, and uh, he's just, he, he's really painted a beautiful picture of Colombia for me. So uh, we keep talking about going down and visiting a, on a trip together. But, uh, you know, obviously that's on, on hold with COVID. Um, but let's take Colombia. We've got of these gummies, I think around 50,000 gummies in Colombia, which is pretty small number. Um, I'm here in the US, we've got about 3 million gummies. Uh, you're in which country? UK. That has about 2 million gummies. Um, Canada has about a million gummies. So these are all really small numbers. You know, you're talking about on a global scale, like that's 6 million gummies between North America and UK. Um, and uh, it's it's the small market but just like it's in colombia it's in new zealand it's in australia it's in south africa it's in every country in the world and it's even within muslim majority countries so if you go to malaysia uh you know maybe there's 35 million uh, 35 million muslims in malaysia most of them are not gummies um but within that you have about 10 million gummies right and same with pakistan and egypt and all these different muslim countries turkey and you start adding up all these you know, thousands and millions of, of pockets of Muslims that are educated, that can speak English, that have a positive association with Islam, you start adding them up across the world, you end up with 330 million gummies. If it was a country, it would be the third largest country in the world, right after China and India. And above the United States, it's actually bigger than the United States. It's a huge community, but we've done so little to serve this community. You know, as an example, um, uh, just entertainment. You know, the uh, most popular, or maybe it's the second most popular soap opera series in the world right now is um, uh, Ertogol uh, Resurrection. And I, I'm sure you know Ertogol, right? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, th this is an example of, I think, the opportunity that is, is um, starting to be captured. Uh, if we can, but there's a key distinction, like why now has this show out of Turkey become so successful? It's not the first Muslim soap opera. I mean, there've been, you know, Muslim soap operas for decades now, um, but maybe the Omar series and then certainly this one have really catapulted to a global success. You know, more than, I don't know what other soap operas are out there. I'm sure there's a ton of soap operas in America that I'm just like not privy to. Um, but like, if we think of a Netflix series, like uh, um, what was the one about the, like the president? Um, uh, oh, that uh, designated survivor. Well, no. Um, <laughs> that's that's the, one of my, that's one of my know, low key the, favorite uh, shows. House of Cards. I was thinking House oh, okay, of Cards. Okay, House of Cards. Okay, yeah. yeah. But, whatever right breaking bad like any of these big shows actually yeah. Ertugo is bigger than that it has a bigger viewership than those shows which is is crazy to think like wow this is bigger than breaking bad right what but, made but, the difference sorry sorry, sorry. Yeah. can i just say and, and you might go on to say this but i think that's also because we have that western centric focus or that u.s centric focus often so when it comes to talking about uh movie and tv um it's always about what's big in the u.s Yes. Um, and, and, and Netflix, for example, is, is the main platform for that. That's right. Whereas that's only because we center everything around um, our two respective countries and think we are the center of the world. That's but like right. you said, if you start reframing things and, and Ertugol has been fascinating because I think it's uh, there's certain countries like Pakistan where it's it's huge. Um, and, and it's we, bigger in Pakistan than any country in the world. And, and and but we we don't because of this kind of western centric outlook and worldview that we have we don't kind of credit that or count that in the same way we would a show that was right. as big in america um, that's right so yeah i i think it's really interesting yeah and of course though i think a big part of Erdogan's success is so it's two things it's it's the production itself and then distribution and you have mm. to have both of those right so the production is what made it different than all the other previous soap operas is it's actually a really high quality production. You know, like amazing fight scenes, like millions of dollars spent on the uh, costumes and uh, setting, like, you, you the know, the track and the scenery, everything, yeah, yeah. everything right? Um, uh, the set, et cetera. So you have to have that quality. And then you have to get distribution. So their Netflix deal, for example, was huge for them. It didn't generate a lot of money, but it's actually because it's on Netflix, it's been able to disseminate all across the world. And that's been like a huge point of their uh, success and growth. Um, and, and so both of those things have to go together. Um, we're, we're getting there. The internet makes it really, that really helps solve the distribution point. Um, you know, because like even in the future, if they make another series and Netflix doesn't want to carry it, but they have a site where people easily can, uh, you know, access it from anywhere in the world, you know, it's going to spread on Twitter. It's going to spread on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, through existing social media channels. People will find it. People will watch it. People will really get into it, you know, and it's not overtly religious. And I think that's important. The really overtly religious stuff is still going to remain niche. Um, it's a good niche, you know, a lot less uh, the, the religious people, but um you know, the masses, they want something entertaining, of course, but they want it to conform with their values. They, like, you know, one of the frustrating things about watching almost any Netflix show 
is like, you know, there's going to be nudity at some point or like excessively foul language or, yeah. you know, just like shock value. Usually in the first episode, just to like, you know, shock people and, and, and reel their nefs in. Mm. And you don't even see people kiss in Earth of Gore Resurrection, right? And so, um, and, and, and I guess it, it's still, it. it's done well almost despite that, if you know what I mean, even in a Western yes. context. Um, despite that exactly and, and i think that's the thing that's been really incredible to see like we 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 had an article on the muslim vibe a while ago that was talking about how you know ertogol is, is the new show on netflix that everybody needs to watch um and and to be honest I, I i've only seen like one or two episodes i personally didn't get into it that much but i know everyone around me is is just in love with it from a from a cultural perspective there's like a whole heritage and pride and but then i think the underlying thing about it is that it's you know it's people are comparing it to the likes of game of thrones in terms of you know yeah, the, game the thrones, yes yeah. style and whatever else but they've done it without the nudity they've done it without the foul language as you said they, they, they've and taken frankly out, even though we're talking about the budget they put into it they're, they're doing it with maybe one percent of the budget of game of thrones right five yeah. percent of the budget of game of thrones like let's be real but i mean um, the cgi for the dragons is quite quite intense to be fair yeah yeah um you know, uh, you know I, I i love to make the analogy to halal burgers yeah uh how are the halal bur like are are halal burgers like can you find a good halal burger spot in the uk loads in london loads. there's loads okay. Yeah, yeah okay good so this will be this will be a, an analogy i think that makes sense for you so i mentioned okay. i became muslim 2001 yeah in a place with like no muslims right and so forget, like, we didn't have masjid, forget halal meat and halal burgers or anything, right? Yeah. Um, and so I basically didn't get to eat any more cheeseburgers. And as American, I love cheeseburgers. And like, I think a year after I became Muslim, uh, some Muslims in the local university had organized a little picnic. And they're like, you want to like halal burger? And I was like, thank God. Like, yes, alhamdulillah, you know, I've been dying. And I get this like kind of like kafta burger with cheese on like two slices of bread. I'm yeah. like, come on, this is not a burger, right? <laughs> and that's a that was a very common experience for like a halal burger in 2001. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you fast forward it, at least here in Michigan, and it sounds like it's the same in London and in Toronto and, and you know so many places now, the halal burgers are known to be like, you know, off the chart. Like they're amazing. Right. Even non-Muslims know that halal burgers are like the thing out here in Michigan, at least. Mm. And I think about like what changed, you know, how did something that went from having this stereotype oh, halal burger, it must be horrible to halal burger. Like, please count me in. I'm, I'm like, I, I love halal burgers. Right. It goes back to quality. And, um, you know, it's, it's upon our generation, like you and me, like we've got to build these quality products. Like it's just, you know, a lot of people were really used to like, oh, Muslim uh, a Muslim podcast or a Muslim website or a Muslim uh, platform, oh, that must be inferior. That must be, you know, second rate. That must not be that entertaining. Uh, but there's no reason it can't be. And inshallah, if we really put our, our work into it and we really make quality products, um, actually we can completely shift the perspective to even non-Muslims love what we're producing and that's what we found with ethical resurrection you know like some of the places that it's actually most successful in the world are central and south america you know mm -hmm. these latino countries they just absolutely love ethical resurrection and i think this goes back to what we we're saying about you know our our western centricity and how it can really blind us 
Yeah. You know, most of the world, frankly, still has a very strong connection with their fitra, with that, you know, goodness, that God-given goodness that's born, uh, that's inside of each child that's born. And when we produce things that resonate with the fitra, you know, maybe it won't resonate with people in like Las Vegas and New York and Los Angeles, but it's going to re resonate with billions of people around the world. And so you, there's no, you know, like they're not any less deserving of, of course, the yeah. message of Islam just because they're not, you know, in the, you know, rich Americans or rich Europeans, you know. So this is this is something that only recently we've, we've actually decided internally to, to shift our kind of even content plan and strategy uh, with regards to our website where we're, we're looking at, you know, we've always been a platform for Western Muslims. That's kind of been the key focus because we understand the context, you know, we, we, we live it. But what we've obviously seen is that over time, the, you know, our brand, the Muslim vibe has grown an audience in, um, in all parts of the world. So in India and Pakistan, we have very strong followings as well. Um, and it's always been kind of incidental audiences. But now, and even Africa, um, in, in some pockets of Africa, but, but now we're starting to, to have discussions and we're talking about, well, you know, the, the content that we provide, whilst it does come from a Western Muslim perspective, by and large, we've developed regional editors in different parts of the world. So we have content about the African continent from somebody writing in Africa. And, and that's kind of led us towards almost this, this gummies, without terming it that, but this kind of gummies um, outlook on life and on, 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 our, on the platform where it's like, actually, we need to start opening up and appreciating the, the, the kind of the ummah element of this. It's like for us, we're an English speaking platform. Anybody English speaking should be able to and can connect with us. Um, I wanted to know what your thoughts are on where this can can go because you're right 100% right the halal burger example was spot on back in the day a halal burger just meant like oh you're gonna f it's, it's gonna look like the McDonald's adverts but taste uh like cardboard pretty much yeah but as as time has gone on it's just the levels got better now we have smash burgers here we if you ever come to London yeah. by the way I'll, I'll I'll show you and I know you've got way too many friends so you probably won't have time for me but there are some great, great burger spots. Um, and, and yeah, like, you know, it's, we've leveled up so much. But I guess the question then is that when it comes to um, the power, because, you, you know, you talk about the, the gummies being the third largest economy or the third largest yeah, economy in the world. Now, that's some serious potential power. But we obviously haven't managed to harness it and utilize it. And even a platform like LaunchGood, for example, you guys have one million users, which is huge. But as a percentage of 330 million is tiny, right? So there's loads more work to exactly. do. The number, the number we were previously using at the Muslim Vibe was 50 million for the Western Muslim English-speaking audience as we saw it, um, as our target audience. And even that, yep. we've, we've got 1 million followers on our social media. Our website traffic, alhamdulillah, is quite, you know, um, quite decent, but there's still a long way to go till we can say, all right, we are harnessing this power, so to speak, or we're kind of all united and going on a journey together and doing stuff together. How, how do you see the potential of that playing out from a sort of um, commercial perspective, but in the sense of being able to shift and change narratives, like we talked about Artugol and, and what impact that's had on, on TV? Because you know now producers are looking at, oh, well, yeah. this is a winning formula. We need to recreate this. And I'm sure there are conversations happening where people are trying to get um deals for like the the spin-off series like they've done with game of thrones they've got you know these 
um yeah. and, and the marvel they've got all the kind of tv shows lined up it's it's all about being able to leverage our power collectively to actually shift um and and move things so how do you think we can achieve that you know, well one is there just has to be an awareness and a confidence in ourselves as a market you know and so as an example of that um ha have you ever been to malaysia or singapore uh, i've been to malaysia yeah malaysia and uh like what how was it recent like in the last few years 2015 i want to say okay Could so they wrong. probably had uber did they have uber while you were there uh yes i believe so yeah we had some sort of taxi thing yeah there's was uber, uber yeah. and they have a local one a singaporean company called grab okay and uh you know i lived in malaysia for a few months when we opened our launch good office there in 2018 um and you know you'd use one or the other grab or uber and i was partial to uber because i'm used to it of course but also like tech wise it was a little bit smoother a little less glitchy um uber does not exist anymore in malaysia or anywhere in southeast asia grab has beat uber in asia and it's not the only one right like all we also see in china that uber was beat in china by their local uh, uh kind of a version of uber and it's mm -hmm. like why did grab win why did the chinese version win it's because people in those regions saw the value of having their own platform that uh you know rather than just always importing for example like the american company mm. and when they start seeing themselves as like hey you know we're deserving of our own platforms like they can actually beat like the the, the incubants out there um, and i think that's one way we need to look at as muslims like hey we deserve our own netflix and and i hope you know our, our friend navid and uh, alchemia can, can really pull through inshallah and be that one right so, uh, or huda ali for kids and like you know, there are definitely a lot of initiatives. I mean, that's one of the things that's exciting. And we talk about the future. There's a lot of initiatives. The problem is there's not yet a lot of money. And, and I think you know this. Um, you know, you're not swimming in cash over there in Muslim vibe, right? Um, you can't and, see uh, from, from the waist down. There's just like money on the floor. Money, that's yeah. How, that's you just, how we it's, are. It's, it's, you're floating <laughs> on money. You're actually, yeah. So it's hard. Right. And so people are making a huge sacrifice now. Like, I mean, it's not, um, I don't like to talk too much, but like, I didn't even take a salary for the first three and a half years of launch good. It just wasn't an option. Yeah. You know, there's kind of a blessing in it though, or we call it a silver lining, which is the people doing the work right now are really committed to the cause. You know, they're very, I do believe they're very sincere about it. Because if they're here to make money, they're not going to last. They're, they're out. You know, they're not going to just uh, be around long enough. But if they really care about the Muslim community, they care about our Muslim values, they care about making sure they do things the right way and pleasing Allah, they're going to stick through it. And, you know, when is the market going to start to tip? Who knows? I have a feeling it will be in the next about five years. Um, maybe a little less maybe a little more i'm not out here to make predictions though but i am in it for the long term um mm. but if we talk about that muslim the gummies market 330 million when we started at launch good like maybe five years ago the first time we calculated it, it was it was around 280 million um it's it's growing very fast like if we think about 30 years ago it was 
maybe less than 30 million. And so it's a, it's a you know, 50% of Muslims globally are under the age of 35. Uh, even if you go to a Rohingya refugee camp in Bangladesh, you, maybe you can't find a clean bottle of water, but you can find almost everyone has a smartphone and everyone's using WhatsApp, right? So there's a lot of uh, things that are happening where we're a very young community, we're very technologically plugged in um, that I do believe make us poised to, um, for this market to take off once we're, it's able to see itself as a market. You know, that's kind of the missing point. I, I'll give you an example. Recently, there was a, a GoFundMe. So one of our big competitors is GoFundMe. Um, and we actually really like the GoFundMe folks. Like we know we work very closely with them on industry stuff. They're really good people. Alhamdulillah, um, really good values. Their chief marketing officer is a Muslim, for example. Um, so they're great people. I, I have no personal qualms against GoFundMe. But business-wise, they're a competitor, you, right? You want to crush them in a business sense. It, it, yeah, well, I'm not even trying to get, I just want to make sure the Muslims use LaunchKit instead of GoFundMe. That's my interest, yeah, right? Um, that's fine. And uh, recently there was a GoFundMe up for, um, uh, you know, this Muslim family that uh, passed away and they're creating a Sadaqah Jariya for them. And I told them like, hey, why don't you do this on LaunchKit? Like we have a big mailing list and we have connections with scholars and influencers. And I th I'm sure a lot of people would want to get behind this and we could really help amplify that. And I gave them an example of like the Omari Gray campaign that raised over a million dollars. And we have many like amazing, you know, Hamla campaigns. And we're, we're, we care, you know, we really care about our community and we really try to help our campaigns. And they're just like, no, I think this will, you know, we're going to stick to GoFundMe. We think it's going to do a lot better because it's like, you know, it, it can go beyond the Muslim community and, you know, so on. And like, this is a campaign I'm sure if it's on launch, it'd be over a hundred thousand dollars. And like they're around $20,000 stuck around 20,000, but it's just that, you know, inferiority complex that like, Oh, if it's on launch good. And that's like, you know, uh, a Muslim based platform, it must do worse than the others. Just like that halal burger must not be as tasty as the burger from that pub down the street, mm. you know, and we can't win them all. Um, but then when people finally get like, get a taste of our halal burger, then they're like, oh, wow. Like, why was I so, you know, why did I uh, shoot this down? Like, it's so good, you know? And, and uh, so, you know, alhamdulillah, we're going to win them over through the quality of our work, inshallah. I, I think just, just to kind of echo what you were saying earlier about, and, and I remember a few years back, um, we had a phone call and, and, and I was, we were having quite like, I'm not going to disclose too much <laughs> but we were just talking about like the your you know you were talking about launch good and i was talking about my experience with tmv because you know our platform is a little bit younger than yours yeah. and and i remember at that point um I, I don't think you were you were you were still you was you weren't taking a salary yet at that point and that kind of gave me a lot of hope and promise because that's the situation we're still in here where we've been running this for like six years now alhamdulillah we've got a small team um who, who are you know on like on the payroll and whatever else, but myself and Hasib as kind of directors, we're still not in that place of being able to to um, profit financially. And again, it's not about profit to like make a killing so that we can live on an island as much as that would be great. As, as you know, it's about putting a roof over your head, paying your bills. It's got to be sustainable. It's got to you know be sustainable, what? yeah. One of our mentors taught us good work has to be sustainable. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's one of the reasons what we actually made launch get a for-profit rather than non-profit yeah. uh, because I came from, you know, I had experience with the nonprofit world before 
And I just found like it can become so dependent on fundraising and it can stray a bit from the mission. Within LaunchGood, we're not allowed to fundraise for ourselves. We're not a for, we're for profit, we're not a nonprofit. So if the only way we can get more money to hire more folks and do more things and build the products we want to build, the only way we can get that is if work. we do a better job helping people raise more money. The more yeah. we help our community, the more we benefit. And so it really aligns our mission with our financial engine. Not everyone can can do that, right? It's it's um, I think definitely in your field and media, it's a lot harder, of course. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, and I acknowledge it for other things like some, you know, educational programs or whatever, like you just, or masjid, like it has to just be nonprofit and rely on donations. But, um, you know, I'm we do just, need sustainable sorry, work. I was just going to say, I, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. I don't want to take too much more up. So I, I think just to close out, I do have a complaint to make about Launch Good. Um, so last year we ran a, uh, a Ramadan campaign for the Muslim vibe. And we, we did that, you know, you have the one pound, or the, the maximum donations in a day um, receives, I think, $5,000, um, whatever, towards the campaign. So I, I spent a whole day um, messaging everybody I knew, um, literally, like, phone calls. I had, like, aunties that I know from the community who were, like, messaging oh, wow. and calling everyone. I had people giving me, taking pictures of their credit cards and being like, can you just donate one pound for me? I don't know how to do it. Went through all of that. Um and then it got to like 3, 4 a.m. in the UK. And I was like, okay, we're done. We're good. You know, we're, we're at the top. And I don't know what happened, man. There was this mosque that were building a road outside. To, yeah, to, oh, like, yeah. They, they were pay I don't even know what they were doing. And and I must have been like at Tarawi or something at the mosque. And they must have told everybody, all right, pull your phone out right now and and put your card details in, just donate $1. And within like the last hour of the competition, because of the time difference, the cutoff is different. We just got destroyed. We came second, Alhamdulillah. Like, you know, we, we still got something, but that was honestly the, one of the most heartbreaking things after spending almost <laughs> 24 hours of pestering. Every, and then, oh, and then the worst thing was I wake up the next morning with like 50 messages going, oh, so did you win? Did you win? Did you win? And I had to like slowly tell everyone that no, unfortunately, that there was a mosque that needed a road. So well, that's how my much, complaint. How much did you end up? How much did you end up raising in that well, push to win the five thousand? That, so that I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think I think we raised like three thousand pounds, four thousand pounds in in twenty four hours. Um, and then yeah. there was like two thousand five hundred dollar bonus. It, look, it it was good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, obviously, this isn't an actual complaint. Just thought it'd be a nice way of telling no, the story. No, we hear that a lot, you know, of course, right? Because so if people don't know, we have this daily Ramadan giveaway. We give out like tens of thousands of dollars a day, um, you know, to either campaigns that can get the most donors uh, or raise the most money within a 24-hour period. And every 24 hours, it resets. So we have this every day we're giving out prizes. Like it ends up being over a million dollars of prizes across the month of Ramadan. And... Um, uh, you know, we hear this all the time, of course, right? So people are like, it gets really competitive, especially you folks in the UK, mashallah, like you're like no, so... We, we, it's not even about that. It's because we go to sleep and then America wakes up. And, and so well, you, you guys are still fundraising yeah. and we're, we're already... You need to change the well, hours, Honestly, I, I feel like the UK wins most surprises. Like you just have some like really aggressive fundraisers out there, mashallah. Um, but the, the great thing is like that million dollars of prizes actually stimulates tens of millions of dollars in donations yeah you know and i tell people like you know 
it's there to help you activate your donors because it can be very hard to activate your donors. It's really hard to get people to like pause and take out their credit card and give you some money. Um, but when they feel like they can, you know, maybe play a part in helping you win an extra, you know, thousand or $2,500 or $5,000 now, like you, we can activate them. And that's something we work really hard at launch. It is like just coming up with all sorts of ways to gamify the fundraising, make it less painful and more fun and more, participatory oh, trust me it's, it's still painful when you're when you're running that that when oh, you're trying yeah. to get everybody to donate in 24 hours like i i remember literally you know you go down your phone book and you start with the a's and you've got all the alis there and you're just scrolling and messing oh, every single one it's it, it is a lot of fun though and i think you know one of the nice things is that as as much as i'm just sat there whatsapping constantly i i end up having conversations with people i haven't spoken to in ages i feel a bit guilty like asking them to donate to something when i haven't spoken to them in like three years but it, it, it does reopen that kind of conversation. Um, but no, it, it's, it's amazing. And like what, what I saw in that experience was that there were a lot of people who um, I know and who know about the Muslim vibe, but are actually closer allies than I thought. So there were, there were guys that were reaching out to me like, listen, I know you're busy, but what I did was I set up like a chain where I told one guy, I, I messaged five nice. people and I told each one of them to message five people. And he was like, next year, if you do this, so I'm going to pick up the phone and call him. But next year, if you do wow. this, let's let's orchestrate it beforehand so that we can really maximize. And, and like, I was like, this guy doesn't need to do this. He's not he's not benefiting from this. But it's like you realize how many people really want your platform, your project, whatever to succeed. And it's, it's nice to know that people have your back in that sense. So it is. Yeah. It, it's amazing as you talk about gamifying, but it's an it's an amazing experience. And I think, you know, the one thing I would say is that. I'm sure people listening to this in the month of Ramadan will get messages from friends saying, oh, there's this campaign, please donate one pound. Genuinely, like it, it, it does. I mean, the money does come through the, the reward, uh, or the, the, is it, yeah, the, the rewards that you have every day. We've benefited from this at the Muslim Vibe last year and inshallah again this year. So if you do get a message about any campaign, it's literally a pound. Um, and, and for the campaign, for the campaigners, I think it means a lot um and and the extra added bonus can go a long way especially because and i think you know one of the beauties of launch good for me is that i've seen from the huge organizations running like massive campaigns to like the smallest smallest thing and, and i love the small campaigns where it's like the targets aren't that high yeah. it's not an ambitious thing it's a very small localized impact project as well but you know and even like I said, you know, that, that mosque and the road, that road is not going to benefit any Muslim outside of, of that local area. Only the people going yeah. to that mosque. But it, it's such a beautiful thing. Like I, there was a, a bitterness, but almost like a, a dignity to it as well when we lost to, yeah. to, to that road. Because um, it, was, it know, wasn't I'll even the mosque. I'll tell you this. Listen, you, if they were building should... the mosque, it would be okay. But they were building a road. Can I just, I just want to yeah. say that. Well, you know time. what you should do? It's weird, right? It's like w this little mosque in the middle of nowhere in america got Beat all these us. donations for a road and actually your journalism antenna should go up right because there's a story no, no, no. listen these guys these guys are not getting any coverage whatsoever they they, they won but that's it no 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 it's, <laughs> oh, it's an amazing story you really have to look into because i was the same thing i'm like who are these folks like i've never heard of them you talk about i got a big rolodex i know a lot of people i'm like i've never heard of them right hmm. it's this incredible story about an African-American community from New York City that had like embraced Islam. And then the Sufi Sheikh, I think from Pakistan came and they followed him. And then he, 
like then the community split some went to new york to a place called islamburg some went to south carolina and it's just like it's such a uh crazy story mm-hmm. um and it's a really cool story that talks you know it just shows some of the intersection of muslim history in the united states and from east to west I, it's very cool actually um so i i encourage you to dig deeper into this um this community it's a it's a pretty uh fascinating story where like even some of the people the children who've grown up from this they're in hollywood now and they're involved in like oscar producing films and it's just stuff you would never expect that sounds Uh, so cool but you underestimate how bitter i am about the whole thing i I clearly do underestimate it but i think you're gonna you're gonna fall in love with them once no i i need to i I need to i need to rediscover them and 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 i think um you know i like you know ramadan is is an amazing time and i think i feel like launch good has become a part of the ramadan package slash experience now for muslims which is really cool and i i guess for you, that must be an amazing thing to hear, but it's it's something that I've I've it's now just a thing where, and I'm always looking for because you give charity to you know your your traditional large charities that are that are working in parts of the world, um, helping Muslim communities and whatever else, but it's it's given us Launch Good has given us this kind of opportunity, which I I genuinely really really appreciate of being able to support local projects in in the uk in the us and 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 like you know as i said obviously i'm i'm, I'm joking about the that particular mosque but stuff like that is stuff that would never appear on, on my radar as an individual but now i'm aware of that story and it is yeah. it's a beautiful thing and, and i guess just to close out you guys had a a keynote speech um yes. which was which was innovative just in the in the fact i mean everything you guys do is always a little bit as you said it's about raising the bar but this was like a really cool thing that you had put together and I think um, the one of the most amazing things from that is that you guys have now gone to a kind of zero fees model. Um, That's right. And the cynic in me needs to ask that as a for-profit business charging zero fees, uh, what, 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 what's going on? How does that work? Yeah. So this is a model... Um, by the way, there's a ton of stuff that came out and if people I know, go to there is, there is a lot in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If people go to launchgood.com slash new, N-E-W, just new, um, you'll see all the new things that we have and you'll see the keynote. It's only 15 minutes. Uh, it was very audacious, I believe, from us to do, um, but but more or less, I think we pulled it off. Uh, so please, please, if you're listening, go to launchgood.com slash new, uh, see the keynote, read about all the new stuff. Well, the big, big announcement, of course, was the zero fees. And what we do now is when people are checking out, we ask them to leave us a tip, you know, leave us like a dollar, $5, $10, like a small amount um, along with your donation. And we're hoping that that tip more or less, you know, still provides us about 5% on average, which was what we were charging before, which we used to sustain us. Um, you know, we were really nervous coming into it because, you know, like have you, we're not have you f- tested it. Have you done like market research on this or are you just going on a punt? Yes. And also, would you go back if, if it doesn't work out? Would you just kind of flip back to the old model? Yeah, you can't go back to charging fees. So that's the <laughs> risk, right? Especially like, after a keynote. You, well, yeah, once you go to zero, you have to stick to zero. Yeah. And so the first time I had this idea was five and a half years ago. Um, and at that time it was just seen like everyone thought it was too crazy an idea. Like what if people don't leave tips? What if you don't have any money? And, um, so we, we kind of put it off 
but then some platforms were using it like you caring was one that got acquired by gofundme and they were doing it very successfully and then gofundme started applying zero fee model and then just giving did and so like it was clearly working otherwise all these platforms wouldn't be using it as a business model right um but we didn't have the capacity, the dev capacity, because we're a small team. We didn't, there's so many things you have to do and you have a small team and you have to prioritize. And so, you know, at first it was a too crazy idea. Then as we just didn't have the capacity, then we actually built it and we built it for, at that time, our payment process was Stripe. And right before Ramadan, this is like two years ago, right before Ramadan, right before we rolled it out, Stripe offboarded us. It basically kicked us off. And there's a whole like discrimination issue there. Uh, I have a blog post about it. It's not worth going into now, but long story short, we couldn't release it because we had to now focus on getting a new payment, payment a new platform. Payment platform. Wow. We got that new payment platform. We then called, and at the time it's called Blue Snap. We then rebuilt zero fees for Blue Snap, and then right before we were about to launch it, Blue Snap offboarded us. It was like here we go again. So now we have a new payment processor called Adyen. We rebuilt it for Adyen. Alhamdulillah, we have a very good relationship with them. And we just released it now and it's it's working perfectly. Alhamdulillah, the average is about 5% still. So we're good. It is really interesting to see the different uh, approaches to tips. So like I actually assume that, for example, Canada would be very generous. They're, Canadians are super nice people. Uh, I thought in the UK, there wouldn't be so much tipping, right? Because in the UK, I don't think tipping is a big part of your culture. It's like not, it's not US, a part right? of the culture at all, yeah. Yeah, or like Malaysia, like tipping is not part of the culture either. You don't leave tips with your meals, for example, um, or tips drivers, et cetera. Uh, Malaysia actually turns out to be the most generous. They live, leave about 6.5% average tip. Um, UK is up there. I think US is number two, then UK. But Canada is the last. Like Canada is like, Canada and Singapore are the least generous, like around 2%. So, so, you know, so what you're it, saying it, is that Canadians are nice to your face, but behind your back, they're not willing exactly. to give you a tip. That's exactly right. Yeah. The insights you could pull on 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 uh, the different communities around the world would be. Oh, fascinating. I know. It, it's one of the things I aspire in the future. We can really kind of like open source some of our data, mm. because maybe others can use that to really build, you know, incredible products. Like we can't do everything, right? Um, we're hiring a lot, by the way. Like we have over a hundred people on our team now. Um, Fifty percent of them added just in the last six months. And uh, hopefully we're going to keep hiring. So if people want to work for LaunchGood, like come visit us, launchgood.com slash careers. You can send me an email, chris at launchgood.com. We interview so many amazing Muslims, like really great professionals coming from, you know, Google or McKinsey or just, you know, different places. We can't hire them all. Like it just doesn't make sense. Um, and so I do hope that in the future, there's ways that like LaunchGood can really support people in their own journeys or building up organizations that are already out there like Muslim vibe and help you help you connect to some of this talent. Mm. Um, it, it's a pretty cool community. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, check out launchgood.com such careers. And the, the last thing I really want to mention before we end is the Ramadan challenge. You know, people are listening to this, I think right before Ramadan or right Ramadan just started uh, join our global movement. Like we already have over 14,000 people signed up. I'm sure by the time people listen to this pro podcast, will be many more. Um, but it's uh, launchgood.com slash Ramadan. Very simple. Um, or you go to our website. We have a new website. Uh, by the time you listen to this, the new website will be live. Um, just go to launchgood. You won't be able to miss the Ramadan challenge. 
and join like the tens of thousands of people around the world that are committing just, you know, $5 a day or 10 pounds a day, whatever it is. But it ends up being this like massive movement that collectively is donating nearly like a million dollars a day to thousands of campaigns. And it really shows the power that we have as a community when we work together, you know, and that's the key. Like we have so many Muslims in the world. We have so many great people, but if we're not working together and we're like, you know, I'm going this way and you're going that way, like we're kind of pulling, pulling away from each other. Um, and what we need to do as a community is be a lot more aligned and work with each other. And when we work together as a community, nothing can stop us. Of course. Um, I, I just, uh, I mean, fr from myself, it's, it's always a pleasure, um, speaking to you. And uh, I think it's, it's amazing. Like I, we've, we've, we've known each other for the last few years. I, I you know, we've spoken on and off every now and then, and, that every time we speak it's like there's been such a huge progression and 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 launch good has just like gone to a new height and it's incredible to see the journey and, and and you know just the fact that you mentioned there's so many more people involved uh you know you've got teams pretty much around the world now and it's it's phenomenal the work that you've managed to achieve and, and as i said fundamentally i think you're blessed in the sense that the you know your business succeeding um, is directly pinned towards amazing initiatives and programs and projects taking off. And, and I think, uh, you know, from like a, a brother to, to, to another brother, never take that for granted. Like the fact that you, you're blessed with the ability to be able to, like, you know, your, your business, your risk is, is directly pinned to amazing things happening in the world. So, um, I, you know, I guess thank you for providing the platform I realize as well, I should have mentioned it earlier, but I forgot this is going out in Ramadan. We also do, well, yeah, we do have a crowdfunding campaign this year. Um, the link will People be in the description. People got to support it. They got to donate to it. There you go. And and if we are up against any mosques with any roads, you know which one of the two that you should donate to. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and Chris, I'm going to send you a, a message as well. I've told everybody else that, you know, that one pound, you, you're going to get one of those as well. And I, I hope we can count on your support. Um, but... Yeah, thank you very much for your time today. I know we've we've covered so much, um, but it's 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 been a it's been a roller coaster of a of a conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Alhamdulillah. No, I've enjoyed this. Thank you. And uh, you know, people definitely check out the Ramadan challenge. Join us, launchgood.com slash Ramadan. Uh, check out the keynote, launchgood.com slash new. There's just too much happening. We couldn't cover it all. Um, but you know what we do, Salim? We'll, we'll, we'll launch a Muslim a Muslim vibe team for the Ramadan challenge. Okay. And everyone that joins your team, inshallah, will get a you'll get a fifty dollar boost to your campaign. So if we can get like you know a hundred people to join the Muslim vibe team, inshallah, you're going to get five thousand dollars towards your campaign, and and it's a win win for everybody, inshallah. Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. Take care. So that was my conversation with Chris. Um, I think, like uh, you know, the the his own personal story aside, I feel like it made me think a lot about uh, you know this this notion of gummies, as he put it, and and looking at the potential power that the English speaking Muslim community in the world can yield. Um, it's it's quite remarkable when you actually look at it and, and you know when you look at it as like the third largest economy for example it's it's something very tangible and real and 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 we need to learn i think to 
we need to figure out ways of how we can harness that power um, and, and leverage and, you know, whether it's through lobbying or whatever it might be, but actually um, that kind of utilizing the camaraderie and brotherhood that we have as Muslims um, and and really channeling that towards towards good. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for joining us on another podcast. Uh, we will be back. Be sure to give us a nice five-star rating. Uh, we're also on YouTube, so if you want to watch these podcasts as opposed to just listen to them, um, go on. Uh, it's youtube.com forward slash TMV podcast. Subscribe and all that stuff there. And yeah, we'll be back again next week. It's 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 the holy month, so I might drop a few episodes in between because um, we've actually got quite a bit of content lined up um, and recorded. So let's see how it goes. Um, but thank you for joining us once again, and I'll be back soon. Take care, guys. Ramadan Kareem. Thank you.